Hello, everyone, and welcome to Rural Spark. I'm your host, Helen Murphy. Imagine sneaking into your local library after hours, after all the staff have left for the day, because that's the time that's most convenient for you. Maybe you pick out a book or a CD or two, maybe watch a movie online, and when you're ready, you check out your items yourself and disappear into the night heading back home. Sounds rather convenient, doesn't it? Well, that scenario and more, minus the sneaking part, is possible with the new Open Library project being piloted in rural Nova Scotia. Laura Emery, CEO of Eastern Counties Regional Library, is with us today to talk about it and the challenges facing rural libraries in Canada. Good morning, Laura, and welcome to Rural Spark. Good morning, Helen. Thanks for having me. Laura, we're really keen to talk a little bit today about uh, the state of rural uh, libraries in Canada and some of the innovative things that might lead us into uh, a brighter future for our, our local libraries. Uh, first, I wanted to ask, in your view, what do you see as the state of our rural libraries uh, in Canada today? What challenges are they facing? Well, the biggest challenge that rural libraries face is staying open. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean funding. So having the funding necessary for the regular operational staffing required to have the doors open for the public. And, you know, that challenge is huge, right? Because there aren't huge numbers of people in rural areas. Uh, and a lot of the funding formulas are based on a tax, you know, mm -hmm. calculation, a per capita situation. So, you know, Eastern Counties is kind of my own example, and, and we, we have the lowest population per square kilometer in Nova Scotia, and that affects what funding we have available, and until that problem is addressed, a lot of our locations and the long-term future of our service will be uh, fragile. You know, it will always be in question. Yeah, and in your case, there's a number of different municipal units involved in that regional area. Mm -hmm. um, and is it is it 100% region uh, municipal funding, or there's some provincial and there's there some disparities there? Yeah, there's a split, and the formula is quite complicated for us, particularly because we get a couple of special grants that help to offset our extreme rural context. But it's typically 71% uh, provincial. 23% municipal, 3% from Eastern counties, like we have to fundraise ourselves. Mm. And then we have an equity grant, which is designed for us specifically to offset the cost of being so rural. And we have an Acadian funding grant to help us serve our Acadian communities because we cover Richmond, Guysboro, and Inverness counties. And we're the largest geographic library region but also the most sparsely populated. So, you know, I mean, that, that basic challenge for all rural libraries, though, applies, is having the necessary funding to keep the doors open and keep activities happening and keep collection that's relevant and new. Because, you know, just because you live in some small rural community doesn't mean you don't want to read the latest bestseller mm -hmm. or nonfiction and or that you're not doing education, that you require a genuine public library to be able to get you materials from universities or from other library systems. Like you, if you have a, a library in your rural community, 
you're still connected to that larger infrastructure, information infrastructure across Canada. I mean, we get books for people from Vancouver Public Library. Wow. You know, from from Dalhousie, from places in New Brunswick. I mean, all the provinces, it's just... You can't do that unless it's a public library that meets certain standards. And so that that network of sharing knowledge needs to be sustained by people who, who have a job there and, and, you know, provide the public service. And that challenge cannot be underestimated. Even in Ontario, they had an issue where they were reducing the funding for the interlibrary loan service. So they were cutting the funding for people mailing books to people, to to rural branches. Yeah. So again, you're going to get into the kind of two-tiered situation where people who live in a small rural town maybe can't get the latest information about whatever it is they need. And I mean, sometimes those issues are pressing. Like we have... We're fortunate to have had some funding for shared medical books, collection, breast cancer, mental health, so that, you know, the latest appropriate materials for people who are dealing with a health challenge, they need to be available at the public library. And that's regardless of where you live in the province. So, you know, that's one thing that's a strength, but it's just maintaining that robustness by having the hours. And Mm -hmm. that's the other biggest challenge. I mean, typically our rural libraries in Nova Scotia are open somewhere between 17 to 25 hours a week. And that is just never going to meet everyone's need. Right. And it's mostly uh, a lot of that is during daytime working hours for people. Yeah. Daytime shifts, which brings us to one of the main things I want to talk about today. So Mm -hmm. it is impressive that you know, in the face of the challenges of just staying open, that that your your library region, the organization that you lead, is actually trying something very innovative and piloting something for Nova Scotia that helps address those limited hours and make sure that you're serving more people when it's convenient for them. And I think you call it the Open Library Project. Is that correct? Yes, it is. We're, Tell us we're, about that. We're so pleased. It's been a month since we launched. And it was a couple of years lead up to that launch. An open library is a library that has a technological infrastructure built in that allows us to offer extended open hours that are are staffless. So the user has to go up to a, a keypad at the door and scan their library card and punch in their library account PIN number. And the system checks it and when it's it you know is satisfied that it, yeah that's the right person and that's the right pin the door buzzes open and you can let yourself in the library and there's a self checkout so you can return and check out books you can pick up your holds the computers are on the collections there you can do all of the basic things you generally do in a library and this is the only open library in, in Atlantic Canada. There are five others, primarily in Ontario. And we, yeah, we faced a lot of difficulty innovating in the sense of we don't have a lot of redundancy or extra at our organization. Mm-hmm. So the project placed a lot of stress on management and regular operations because you're kind of taking, trying to innovate while at the same time you're trying to operate. Right. And, and it's, there's a lot of tension there, but for us, we see it as very important 
to define and build a future. We're not giving up, right? Like we know there is a way forward for rural libraries. And this technology has been in use since 2004 in primarily Denmark and, and Sweden, Scandinavian countries. All right. And so there's a track record and a history on this technology. And, you know, we actually traveled to Denmark, um, myself and two other managers uh, from Eastern counties uh, in June of this year. And we did a tour of 14 libraries to see this technology in operation and the specifics of how to make it work successfully and different contexts. And, and it was great because everywhere that we went, which was considered rural Denmark, was all larger than Guysboro and mm -hmm. all larger than our context. Okay. And Denmark's a really good example country for us because it's very homogenous. People are, are typically uh, very similar. And that is, is very similar to Nova Scotia, rural Nova Scotia. Mm -hmm. People are generally white. They're generally Christian. They're generally older. They're generally, you know, so, uh, and why that's important for the open library is, is you're, you're dealing with a similar group of people and, and, you know, it's very stable and it's not like you're getting a lot of strangers going through Guysboro. It's people right. in the community, right? And so people in the community, they take care of their community. They take care of their library when they go in there by themselves. Because right. they now, live there, how, you know, like, yeah. How is the experience in Denmark uh, working out? Like what kind of, after tracking it maybe for a number of years? Uh, it is hugely successful. People love it. It's really, we spoke with multiple librarians. We, we talked with frontline library staff. Everyone was a tiny bit nervous when they started, yeah. but um, they haven't been disappointed by the, the public that they serve, the community they serve. There's been a few little problems, and they typically relate to teenagers. Mm -hmm. um, and that put a note of caution for us. So in Guysboro at the Open Library, right now, only adults can go in, okay? Right. Children can accompany an adult, and children should accompany an adult to the library. And, you know, and typically, they would have to in rural Nova Scotia because you have to drive. Right. A lot of the kids live out in the countryside. So we didn't see this as a, a terrible barrier for, for kids getting access. So yeah, like, you know, uh, in Denmark, they're a little more flexible about it. And in some cases, they have had to sort of make it adults only, but often they do allow teenagers in by themselves. And they've had a few little, you know, messes, but nothing serious. Mm -hmm. And by serious, I mean, no one's been, you know, injured, hurt. Right nothing's burned down. Yeah. And know, there are some it, limits on the hours, right? You can't go sleep over in there. No. And it's, it's also like we put what reasonable hours you might want to go. So it's kind of like, you know, seven 30 in the morning to, to eight, 9 PM at night. That's, right. that's typical when someone, you know, no one has a book emergency at 3 AM, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and if they do, we have eBooks for that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, we have some reasonable limits on it and we're, we're making it for adults and that's great in terms of, uh, they're taking responsibility for themselves. And I mean, the location in Guysboro was perfect for the project too, because it's situated right downtown it's next to the municipal unit it's next to the rcmp station you couldn't get a better geographic location for the project 
Right. The, um, the Project in Guysboro, the open library, I understand it came into operation just before Hurricane Dorian hit Nova Scotia. <laughs> and I think it proved its worth kind of really quickly that way. Tell us about how it, how it did provide a valuable service during the recovery days. It did. It did. It was funny because only like everywhere else in our region was out of power, except Geysboro actually had power after the storm. And, you know, people figured it out. We heard from people, they figured out, I don't have power, but the library does. And I need to go charge my phone. I need to go charge my laptop. I need to get on the internet. I don't have internet at home. Right. And people were in there uh, using the space, doing what they needed to do online and, and get their electronics charged up. And I mean, to us, that's brilliant. It's such a great community service because the thing mm -hmm. is, is people might be thinking when they're listening to me, oh, well, you could have staffed that. You could have, you know, paid somebody to go work. Well, the problem is our staff don't have power either. Right. In a, in a disaster, right? So, you know, and disaster is too strong a word, but a severe weather event happens in rural Nova Scotia yeah. and it shuts everything down. And a blizzard could be the same thing. And then you have the yeah. roads problem with people getting Yeah. In. And, but people who are right in Guysboro can walk to the library, they can get in and use it if it's of help to them. And see, that's the thing. Like you can't guarantee that your staff are going to be able to travel or that they're going to have power. It's not fair to expect them to somehow get there when everyone, you know, is dealing with that. And, but at the same time, that public resource is sitting there. It's should be of help. And yeah. this open library actually takes the money you're already inherently investing in having that building, paying the power, having the computers, having the collection, and triples the access, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. And, and the costs are very minimal for that, right? I mean, there's a lot of startup costs to, to pay for the technology to go in there. And, and I should emphasize to everyone, like we would not have been able to do this without a grant from the government. It was a provincial grant, was it? It was. It was a provincial grant for 88000 and it came from the Innovation Fund, which is through the Department of Communities, Culture, and Heritage. Right. And we were one of the first projects to be approved from that fund. And they were very supportive and interested in this because rural libraries you know, if you're going to maintain that, and I mean, honestly, if you live in a place that's so small that doesn't even have a public library, I mean, you're really off the grid, you know? Mm. They know, like, access is a huge issue. Staffing's a huge issue. Like, we don't have a lot of redundancy to hire and train multiple people to work at our location. So at all of our libraries, like, somebody could wake up and they're sick. Yeah. And they can't go to work. And we provide sick leave, you know, for our employees, uh, but we can't do that sort of thing. And then also have, you know, available to women cover that day. Yeah. And I mean, we do typically have someone to back someone up, but like, you know, you're, you, they may not be available to work that day because they're a part-time worker and they have other jobs and so on. And so what do you do? Well, if you have the open library in Guysboro, you just, as a manager, I just log in, I reset the system, and the library stays open. Yeah, that's terrific. And it's time now for a mention of our sponsor, ExploreNet. They're fighting to conquer Canada's vast geography and connect rural Canadians to what matters. And they've been doing it since they were founded in Woodstock, New Brunswick, more than 15 years ago. 
So whether you just need a fast, reliable rural internet connection, or you're looking for more services like a home phone, ExploreNet can help. Learn more at ExploreNet.com. That's X-P-L-O-R-N-E-T.com. Yeah, and so you're not stressing out the employee who who yeah, sort of got the flu and thinks, but if I don't go in, Mrs. So-and-so is not going to get her books and yeah. there's not going to be library service. Then go, okay, well, people, you know, everybody who's looking for it can probably get in. And, you know, it's a huge, it's a huge support. Yeah. Is it too early now, Laura, to think about um, whether there might be funding to keep this going after the three-year period, whether it could... Oh, we're going we're gonna to have to. We've, we're looking at how to do that because oh. it's, you know, most of the funding's gone to, to pay the startup costs of installing the technology. Right. Right. That's and the then there's a, a small platform fee. I shouldn't say small. It's about um, 6000 a year. To, to pay for the computer system that you're con- like that's running the technology mm-hmm. and for that 6000 though you get so many hours you know like you you get all these hours so the cost per open hour is very low okay and i just see that once people are using this they'll fight even, for it. <laughs> well it's not even that it's just, just it's so darn convenient yeah. And and our problem with that that limited access is you're not relevant to everybody. The library's not for everybody because if you can't get there during those those limited hours, you can't use it. And I mean, all of these rural communities want to attract working families, right? And those people need flexibility. You know, I mean, we have some folks who are younger who who are part of our, our team and they've moved back to, to rural Cape Breton and so on. And there are people who do things online. There are people who want convenience at their own pace and time frame, and they don't need someone to help them place a hold, right? It's important to have the staffing for users who, you know, don't have necessarily the computer savvy to navigate our system and and like the human interaction and want to go visit people at the library and talk to staff. These are not those people. They're like, no, I want to go in when it's convenient with my kids and get stuff for their project. And I can, I can figure it out myself. Yeah. And is this kind of innovation part of the move for uh, libraries to becoming more of a community hub where it's more than maybe what, uh, you know, someone my age maybe grew up with, with the local library. And, and there's things that actually, other things that could happen in those, say, evening hours, like a, a small group could meet in there. Yeah, it's, it's really a, a, the next leap in, in library service. It's the next level. Like we trust people with hundreds of dollars worth of stuff. Right. If you come in and borrow stuff from us and you never bring it back, we will not hunt you down. There are no library police, <sighs> right? It's all based on trust. Well, right. this is the next leap. We're trusting you with the space. Right. And you know, we know we had a book club meeting in, in Guysboro at the new open library because they left us, they left us the stats of how many people came. Oh, wonderful. Well, it isn't, it isn't because I talked to the province about this, right? And this is a whole new form of service. And I was like, right. does this count? Because the province collects stats on how right. people use libraries across the province. And they were like, no, that doesn't actually fit the definition of what a library program is. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So it's something that we have to look at for the future because 
those stats serve to tell the story of how Nova Scotians use their library. And we don't want our political leaders to miss out on understanding the story of this innovation in rural library service. Yeah, and I would think a, a rural book club where maybe there wasn't one before is probably a good thing for the government to be counting. Yeah, and to, to you know, even municipal level, right? Like we have to figure out how to share these kind of anecdotal things that happen when we're not there to make sure that, you know, that is not lost. And I mean, in Denmark, and I think this is true for Nova Scotia as well, like one of the the values of the open library technology for the municipal level of government is, is that you can say your community is so safe, we don't even lock the library. Uh, that is a good marketing plan for me. Yeah, like <laughs> you can just go in. We, you know, this is the kind of place you're able to live and choosing yeah. to live in, right? Like, and dwellers, I think that would be impressive. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, and I mean, we saw it and it's been in existence in, for years there. And, and people are very proud of their libraries there because they mm -hmm. are so functional and so available to their community. And, you know, this technology works in all different shapes and sizes and spaces. So, I mean, our biggest challenge now that we have Guysboro in, in place is, you know, how do we how do we do this at other locations? Right. And yeah. now that you've, you know, you do have this system set up, I think you mentioned earlier that there's not a lot of diversity in some areas of rural Nova Scotia in terms of the population and makeup, in, including your area. But I know Nova Scotia is one of the provinces that's working hard on improving immigration. And I think that extra capacity, although, um, you know, in some cities we see the library mm. playing a big role in helping newcomers integrate into the community and access services. And, and this would just increase the capacity for you to do that, I think. And, and yeah, and it, you okay. hit on a really important point because we do see anybody from away, and that can be immigration from another province in Canada, right? Like just moving home. Right. But we, we've seen people who are, you know, just moved to Canada. They often stop first at the library to get a connection to the community. And because they may need help with information or they're just used to having a library. They come from somewhere larger, mm -hmm. so they want to be able to use it. And one thing about this technology that's in the research that we were interested in is, is that in small towns, sometimes things can get very clicky yeah. and people cannot feel comfortable. And with the open library, like you can go in when the staff isn't there well, for some people who maybe don't feel totally comfortable in the community or even with our library staff, they have the option to still use the library when they want to by themselves or on their own rather, because of course it's not private. Anybody could come in. Mm -hmm. And that is something that they saw in Denmark and in other countries that use this, that immigrants or different groups they would come in deliberately during open hours that they're the extended hours. Some people and, prefer not to deal with the staff. Yeah. Yeah. Just privacy. I mean, yeah. privacy is a big issue well, for a lot of people. You're taking out. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you don't want people to know, you know, that's, you're entitled to that. Right. And, and we've, interestingly enough, um, we've had to make a lot of <clears throat> minor but important changes to our the way that we operate. So, you know, we're not, when we leave people's books for them to pick up, we're not identifying which books are theirs by their name. 
were using their library card number right. to give that privacy. We've also started emphasizing for our users that they need to reset or make sure they know their PIN and their PIN needs to be secure. Mm -hmm. And what we used to tell people is, oh, it's set as the last four digits of your telephone number. Yeah, that's not secure enough anymore. No, in a small town, people know people's numbers. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, and for the security, we want to make sure that the card that's used to open the door is the person's card. And, you know, like, because... I mean, you are being identified by the system when you scan your card and go in. And, and if there was ever an issue, we have security footage and we have that information, you know, so this is important for that to be secure. And, and it's a new way to think for the library because we've never been as concerned about that before. Right. Right. You know, so, and I mean, the other thing is too, like anybody who has an Eastern counties regional library card from whatever area could be driving through Guysboro and think, oh, I should stop into the library. I want to check my email or whatever. Hmm. They can get in as well. Right. So it's, it's really uh, important for that security to be increased. So we're working on that and it's kind of interesting how it, it shifts our perspective. And we look at the staff component, Laura, with your experience there in Guysboro, but also what you saw over in Denmark. When these changes are being made, do people start getting a little nervous that you're going to be cutting back on staff? Because we know in those rural communities, every little job, even part-time mm -hmm. jobs, is so valuable. Is it, was that a concern that was expressed during this transition? You know, it's certainly a, current, a concern you do have to address. And in terms of our current staffing at Guysboro, there, you know, we were clear this is an improvement in service, it's not a service reduction. So, and by that, I mean, you know, we've got the staffed hours we've got and we're adding all these extended hours. And that is, you know, our, our plan. And this is why it's a fundamental leap forward, right? That being said, we have such grinding financial pressures mm -hmm. that say somebody left. You know, like you're not laying anyone off, but you then have to consider like, okay, do we need as many staffed hours with this technology in place? Because of course, we don't want to hurt anyone or impact anyone that we employ by making a change. But if the funding situation is such that you can make it even more efficient, you're, you're really obligated to look at it. And, and that's unfortunate, right? But I, I can't pretend that's not something that we're not going to have to consider. With Eastern counties, and this is a very telling statistic about us, we operate our open hours operational cost is $60 an open hour, okay, for all of our libraries, compared to the library systems next to us on both sides. Right. So that's Anaganish County, and that's, you know, uh, the sort of CBRM. Victoria County. Well, they operate at about $99 an open hour. Okay. At one branch. No, no. This is just an average of how much does it cost for them to be open anywhere. Okay. And I, yeah. Okay. So there's a huge difference in the funding, right? And we're operating at this brutally financially efficient level in comparison right. to our next door library regions. Yeah. And so, you know, in Denmark, a lot of these changes were motivated by maintaining service, but reducing 
staffing costs because that's your primary cost, right? Mm-hmm. And when you put it down to people, like, do you want a library you can get into whenever you want to get into versus staff? It's a real dilemma, right? But I mean, the thing is, is the good news is that you cannot operate an open library without staff. Yeah. We don't have robots. You need someone to pull the books for people. You need someone to sign people up for library cards. You need somebody to tell people about Guysboro in the community and, yeah. and our services. You, there is always somebody who's going to need help. There are always books that are going to need to be shelved, pulled for users. Uh, you know, it, yeah. the place needs to be checked on. It needs to be, you know, ascertained everything's okay. All of that is a staffing responsibility. And of course, programs. I mean, you can't automate a, a library knitting group or a children's activity, I mean, yeah. nor would you want to, no, right? And the so, want that. No. And so this is the dilemma, right? And so it's kind of always seeking the best way forward and advocating for a true improvement. And do you see these kinds of things happening across Canada? You must be connected to with colleagues at rural uh, libraries. Are they starting to look at ways to innovate with, either with this? No, other ways? no. It's not on it's the radar? A, uh, I think it's on the radar, but it's just there's a lot of stress. Well, if you're under pressure just to stay open at all. Yeah, like, there's a lot of stress. And this is not fun, okay? Mm-hmm. Like, innovation is basically miserable. <laughs> um, you know, I... I Hard work I, with money. Yeah. And it, and I mean, why even try if you're like worried about your future? Well, I'm, we're trying and I, there is a team because we want to make sure there is a future. When politicians say, well, what are you going to do? We're like, ah, oh, we got the solution. Guess what? Yeah. Yeah. And here's how much it costs. And you give it to us, we'll go for do it. You know, so stats, I mean, you know, they're going to want stats, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're going to want stats. And we know in the first month of the open library being open, stats are no problem. We know 63 people got in there. Oh, good. And we know that 10 people tried and couldn't. Okay. Because their library pins weren't Probably. updated. Okay. And so we tracked those accounts down and updated their pins and let them know. Great. They can now get in. That's a bit big brother, maybe for some people's taste. But I mean, when I called one lady and was like, hey, we saw you tried to get in and we fixed your account. And she's probably very happy. Yeah. Right. Like, because you want to take advantage of this. And I mean, here's the thing. It's cool when you go there and you, you scan your library card and the door opens and you're allowed into the secret world of books and no one else is there. It's like, it's your library. I was working there yesterday morning and I was just like, okay, this is the best thing I've ever done at work in my entire life. You know? Yeah. I was so happy. Yeah, no, it sounds terrific. And I, I wonder, you know, there's people across Canada probably who, um, you know, would be devastated, uh, lots of people who'd be devastated, mm. lost their rural library. What can ordinary residents do in rural communities across Canada to make sure that they're getting, um, you know, the most robust offering and, and uh, programming, et cetera, from their library and support its survival, its continuation, and, and it getting traction with policymakers and funders? Well, I think the biggest thing is, is that people, they, they get confused because it's complicated how it's funded, right? right? And they think, I'll complain to the library 
and that'll make a difference. All right. <laughs> okay. And it's like, I've had, you know, I'm the CEO. Typically my inbox is filled with unhappiness, right? And it was so nice. The first day the library opened in Guysboro, the open library, I got this great email from a guy and his, his friend who'd used it and they were delighted. And I was like, oh, this is such a nice treat. Yeah. <laughs> but generally it's not. And so I've had multiple people, you know, they call and they complain that the books on the shelf are always the same. And then I explain what we cut because we couldn't afford to shift the books around, okay, right. randomly, like, you know, try and refresh these, these standing collections and why. And, you know, they're like, well, that's not good enough. And I'm like, well, you really need to call your, your local politician, your MLA, and tell them library mm. service matters and it needs to be better funded. Yeah. And, and see, this is the problem. Like, in rural areas, there are so many issues that need that kind of support and advocacy that the libraries, you know, generally pretty low down on the list. But the problem is, is we're part of the infrastructure that helps to attract new people to the community. Yeah. We're like the school, we're like the medical, yeah. we're like the, you know, the recreation center, right? Like, yeah. and so it's just, you've got to maintain those quality of life things because people don't move to rural anywhere to make a lot of money. They move there for quality of life. Yeah. And the library is part of that. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if you can't get new books and you're not connected to this information infrastructure and, you know, you're not seeing new technology. I mean, think about how powerful this is. This is like the latest and greatest library you can have that you can go when you want. Yeah. In Guysboro. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so that's powerful if you're, you know, taking people in and showing them the community. Yeah. Are it's there a really good message. Are there things like, sometimes I hear about maybe in bigger centers, you know, friends of the library, that sort of thing. Are there sometimes kind of auxiliary uh, groups who try to make sure uh, new books are coming in and, and maybe fill in some gaps? There's groups that are well-meaning, but again, it's, it's back to having the staff to work with them. Right. And having the advocacy that's effective and the density, the lack of density of numbers of people is right. a problem. You know, we've been very conscious of getting ministers and, and you know, trying to get MLAs and so on to, to know about our organization and to maintain our provincial profile. I mean, one great advantage to Eastern counties doing this project in Nova Scotia is that we're one of the poorer library regions. And if we can innovate, you know, anybody can. Yes, really. you can do it. Anyone can. Yeah, really. And I mean, if we have a solution, then that solution actually will work in multiple locations because yeah. we have sort of the toughest environment to, to work in. And so there's a lot of advantages of having a project that ideally, you know, we haven't really even begun to talk about it enough, but we're going to a conference next week where we're doing a presentation to the library community about it. And hopefully we'll get some, you know, people in, in leadership positions yeah. to know that there is this way forward. And, and I mean, it requires like a good 40 to 60 grand to put one of these in place. Yeah. But once you get that initial, it's not like you need, you said, you know, not like you need that funding, you know, every three years. No, no, no. It's, it's pretty good. Like you'll, you'll need a new server probably every five to seven years, which right. is sort of the computer end, but that's not desperate, right? Like, right. so 
you know, it's reasonable in terms of, of the kind of service it's providing. And just, as I said, it sends a very positive message about the community that it's in. Like there's a future here. We're modern, we're available, we're flexible. We can work with your lifestyle. Exactly. And it's oh. really important. So, and I hope that you, uh, from this episode of Rural Spark too, I hope people are reaching out to you to get some. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm planning to share it. That's for yeah, sure. Some of those happy emails in your inbox in the morning, maybe asking yeah. how, maybe some advice. How can I start this year? Yeah. Well, and I mean, I always say, you know, talk to your politicians, uh, let your municipal councils know that you want better library service. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. honestly, yeah. library staff and librarians take People, because we are so approachable and we're generally women, people often feel very comfortable sharing their dissatisfaction, but it really needs to be directed uh, at government. In the right place. Yeah. I mean, or it's, I mean, we're fine. Like, we agree with you. Yeah, that isn't great. We'd like it to be better too, right? But, you know, we've got to kind of find the way forward. And one advantage of this project is that government was very interested in it. They yeah. were supportive. They did invest in it. That's a sign of hope. Yeah, exactly. And so hopefully more provinces, you mentioned some are in Ontario and hopefully we'll see some of that spread across Canada for. Yeah, it will work. I mean, really there's, you know, Denmark is not, uh, Sweden, they, these countries are not so different. Right. Uh, and these rural contexts are, are important. So thank you so much, Laura, for sharing the story with us. It's been really insightful. I'm familiar with the library system there, but there's lots I learned today too. And um, uh, thanks for sharing the story. We'll touch base with you from time to time to see how it's going. Well, I'd appreciate it. And thanks so much for your interest. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye, Laura. Bye-bye. And thanks to all of you for joining us this week on Rural Spark. Our team includes content producer, Catherine Murphy, and technical producer, Tara Seabarth. Music is by Jason Shaw. We wish you all the very best for the week ahead in your part of rural Canada.